Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right. First, I want to thank Will Dykstra for filling in last week while I was down in 80-some degree Phoenix. And now I'm wondering, why did I come back? That's a good question. (laughs) Brad Peterson's in studio with me today. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Welcome to Neverending Winter. Oh, man, this this is the winter that seems like it is going to go on into May. Well, you know, we while I was gone, we actually there were a couple nice days, I think, in the 70s up here that teased people. And we're going to talk as we get into the show. The boat ramps are opening. Spring fishing is taking off. And the water temperature won't go up and down as drastically be, with this cold front. And we're going to get some more warm weather. But, boy, every time you plan a weekend, it's a good thing it's not Rocky's opener here. They're they're down in Florida. Undefeated Colorado Rockies, by the way. Uh, Shout out to our pitching staff. That was pretty awesome. They're playing good. It's it's been surprising. Um, You know, normally... We seem to get pretty lucky for Rockies openers having decent weather, so I'm hoping that's a good sign because they come back next week. Yeah, they're saying next week, and so we're counting on two things next week. The weather will be good for the Rockies opener for all that want to go. Those of us that want to get outside will be able to do it. We can listen on the radio and uh, follow it on our phones, and that means the fishing should really start to pick up with spring fishing. But we're going to talk a lot today, folks. We're going to talk a lot of fishing uh, there's a lot we don't know, a lot we're going to be betting on. It's been an unusual year. We're obviously going to get some water this year. The snowpack is phenomenal. Oh, the snowpack's great, and the nice thing is the last few years we've had one or two of our river basins that have been all right with snowpack, and the rest have been really bad. This year, statewide, every river basin is looking good. The Arkansas is up over 130%. The Platte's over 115%. It should be phenomenal for helping us keep our lakes full at least, you know, through the through July time. Now, we're going to get a bunch of, not today fly fishermen, but over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to get a bunch of the fly, the top fly guys in the state. We're going to bring them in. We're going to talk because this is going to be an unusual year where we've got a lot of water up there and we're late in the year already, Brad. And and it's it's going to either... It, if it doesn't stay cold at night till like July, we're going to have runoff till August if that happens. But and the river's blowing out. But if it does get warm suddenly, and this is you know not just here, but all the way from Colorado through the Midwest up to the Ohio River Valley, there's so much snow. If we suddenly get warm now because we're late in the year and get some rain, there's going to be parts of the U.S., including Colorado, that could experience epic flooding. Well, yeah, I mean, it's already happening. Nebraska, uh, Iowa have both been seeing unbelievable flooding. My uncle tried to get back to Sioux City, and uh, the interstate going from Omaha to Sioux City was closed for standing water. They had to, they spent half a day on Google trying to figure out what roads were open so they could take the backcountry roads just to get home from their Arizona, their snowbird home. Yeah, it's it's going to be, and we're going to cover that a lot over the next few weeks and how it affects the outdoors. You know, we've got turkey season opening. Um, one thing it won't affect, the big game draw has to be in. 
Yes, that is something people really need to be aware of because big game draw has changed quite a bit this year from past years. So I know that, you know, in past years, big game draw, the deadline was at midnight. Now this year, the deadline is April 2nd, and it's actually closing at 8 p.m. Right. It closes at 8 o'clock. And there's some other new things. If you haven't applied yet, you can't even apply without a qualifying license. Right. And those qualifying licenses are either a small game license, a turkey license, or a resident combo license. So you have to purchase that first before the computer system will even let you go in and apply for a big game tag. Right. So we're going to see some changes there. The fees have changed a little bit. You don't have to pay. Uh, you have to pay a uh, filing fee or uh, the application application fee. fee, but you don't have to prepay for the license where it used to be. If you didn't get the draw, you had to re- they had to, the state had to return that money, and you had to put it in, and it was just a mess. So that's gone. So that helps. Yeah, that that does help. There is a fee for uh, just getting points, a, a little bit higher fee for uh, the the sheep and goat tags. And so people need to pay attention to, in both the big game brochure and the sheep and goat brochure, there is a, uh, uh, right in the first couple pages, there's a what's new page or couple pages. Right. And that will that will go through what all these changes are. Make sure to really take a close look at that because we don't want anyone to miss an opportunity to go out big game hunting because they missed one of these little changes that holds something up. Yeah, I would really, you know, we don't have the greatest weather. This weekend would be a great time to get on there and do it. Because if you wait till the last minute, there was one year where everybody waited till the last minute. We saw the, I think the webpage went down once. It can happen. So Yes, so, um, I can say that I was one of those people that it affected, that I was trying quite uh, repetitively to get back on the web page. Luckily, I was able to get on, but uh, starting about nine o'clock that day, it started to crash. And by about ten thirty, finally, I got on, but I sure was sweating, uh, possibly missing out on big game applications. Yeah. So if you're looking for that, work on it this weekend. Don't wait. I think Tuesday is the second, I believe. Yep. And and the other thing that the state does have, you know, this is a great opportunity to look. They've got new information out on the the herd counts. And the preference point information, there's a lot of great resource and information if you go on to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, go to the big game area, and then start clicking around there. It'll tell you how many preference points it takes, what's the success rate, and a lot of that information that can help if if you don't have a spot that you're you know, locked into hunting, you can get good information and pick a good area to try out, put the application in, and then start going up and scouting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's move on a little bit to what is going on. Now, Nate Zielinski and Ronnie Castiglione will both join us during the show. I think Ronnie's been out chasing some walleyes from shore up north. Nate, obviously, they're guiding, I'm sure, on Cherry Creek and Chatfield. The spawn is going on. Uh, there's, uh, I know it, it. we joked about never-ending winter, but it's supposed to gradually get warmer and actually be back in the 70s by the end of next week. And we'll probably get more cold miserable days, but we're going to start getting more warm days and more good days. The fishing up and down the front range is going to take off, and we want to cover that a lot today. But even before we get to that, I mentally checked out of ice fishing several weeks ago, and I'll admit I did a lot of traveling this winter to warm places, and I couldn't find any ice in Hawaii or Florida or those places. You didn't look hard enough. But I fished, so and we did get that. But uh, it's been an on and off again year, both on the front range and the mountains. Now, there's 
reportedly lots of good fish available in the mountains if you can get to it. But with the amount of snow and slush on the lakes, it's been difficult. It has in these warm days, and we've been getting some warm nights up there. You know, that creates the slush issue, and it also creates the problem of the ice can become really unpredictable. And so I'm kind of like you. About two weeks ago, I took my ice fishing gear out of the back of my truck to avoid temptation and put the long rods back in and have been doing some fishing on several of the bodies of water along the front range here. And and it's getting good. And with this warmer weather, it's just going to keep getting better. Oh, you're absolutely right. And we're going to cover that a lot. In fact, that'll probably be the focus of several of not only today's segments, but upcoming shows, techniques, what you should do for and I, one of the things, and I pointed this out on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and you need to go there because I bring back past post articles. I bring back interviews here where we cover things. We talk about things that are coming up. But, and you bring back old TV shows. I know you posted one of me a, a couple months ago, and I keep getting people seeing that one because I think it was your first or second year on TV down at Pueblo. So that was spinners. just like a couple years ago, right? It, it was just a couple <laughs> years ago. I, I you know, people keep randomly running across it on the internet, and well, that's, it's it's great to see those old shows and lots of good information. On oh, it. there is. You know, we did that. Uh, we were doing bottom bouncers, then we went jigging, and we actually that same information applies today. It really does. Absolutely, we we beca- we caught a lot of fish down there. But one of the things I brought back that I had written an art, I had written a couple articles last year in the spring for the Denver Post on spring fishing. One on just going out and catching stock trout because it's an easy way to go out. And for people who aren't going to spend the time to buy a lot of equipment or get advanced, just go out. You can catch fish right now, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But also you can catch some of the biggest trout of the year from anywhere in the state right on the front range of Colorado right now. Oh, you can. There's there's phenomenal fish. The state not only stocks your stocker size fish, those 8 to 10, 8 to 12-inch fish, but they put some of the old brooder fish in. Uh, so you occasionally have some of those 8 to 10 pounders that are getting stocked. But then you also have a lot of these holdover fish that on some of the bigger reservoirs, say Boyd and Chatfield, that have deep water and can hold these fish over, those fish, the water temperature is right and the food source is up near shore. So they are the most accessible to shore anglers right now. These big fish that maybe you've got a month, six weeks right now, and then in the fall you have the same kind of time, and the rest of the time they're out deep and in the middle. So if you're a shore angler, this for the front range ponds and reservoirs, this is the best time to get out to try and catch a really trophy trout. Right, and even if you just want numbers, if you look at the stocking report, and we put the fishing report on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, every week when it comes out. Now, I am working with Parks and Wildlife to get that moved back to Wednesday or Thursday. It comes out on Friday, which is really a little late. But there's a link in that to the stocking report. And right now, even a lot of the small ponds, either before ice fishing or right away in the spring, while they still have cold water, have been heavily stocked. And I've got friends that went to a park pond just by my house just in the last couple of weeks. And in the first 15 minutes, they got five or six fish. And that slowed down, then it picked up again. But these trout, the rainbows are not only, well, there's two or three things. One is they're getting the water temperatures close to shore. The ice has gone away, and that's really the most comfortable water for them. And that's where the bug life and the minnow life and everything is happening. The other thing is the rainbows are getting ready to spawn. And a lot of these places don't have inlets, so they're going to go 
to where they either were dumped into the reservoir, which is usually a boat landing or a place where the truck could get there. They've imprinted. Or they're just going to go somewhere near shore and start dropping eggs. And then you're going to get other trout. They're eating the eggs. Yeah, you definitely have that happening. My dad's been fishing a pond in the Longmont area. Same thing, you know, catching 5 to 10, 15 trout in just an hour or two. It's it's phenomenal. One of the things I will tell people that I think is a mistake, and uh, one of our mutual friends kind of gave me this advice in talking to him a couple months ago, and that's uh, Clark Baker. He told me that the big one of the biggest mistakes people will make early in the spring fishing for any species is they fish too deep. Right now, the trout, most of the trout I'm catching and my dad have been catching, we're fishing maybe a foot, 18 inches below the surface. That's where the warmest water is, where the activity is with the the minnows, the invertebrates, the bug life. And if you're down deeper, you're getting half or maybe even fewer the number of bites. So don't be afraid to keep high in the water column, even over deep water or along the shoreline. That's where the fish are going to be. Oh, you're absolutely right. And so go go to the, my Facebook page, Terry Extreme Outdoors, and read some of those articles. There's some other articles that I posted recently I want to talk to you about. Later on the show, I want to talk to you about tick-borne diseases because they've become an issue that the public just doesn't seem to have the awareness of it that they should. And there's as you personally know, and we'll talk about it, that can be really critical. Also, we're going to talk about animal interaction later on the show today with Parks and Wildlife. This time of the year, people want to get out, but you've got bear, moose, coyote. You've got everything out there. And we're going to see uh, calves and fawns appearing pretty soon for the big game. And that's a whole different interaction. So we want to talk about some of that. So we've got a lot to cover, but I think a lot of the listeners to this show, one of the things they really want to hear about is... How is the walleye bite going? And we're going to, I know Nate's going to talk about it and Ronnie's going to talk about it, but I also know that you're guiding on a bunch of the north and northeastern lakes. So as we get into the show today, I want to start hearing what you're seeing. And I'll tell you what, folks, it can be some of the toughest walleye fishing of the year, and it can be some of the best depending on what hour and what day you're out there. But if you catch some of these big females before you spawn, Colorado actually holds the potential for a world record fish. Yeah, I mean, one of our good friends, Tom Bruno, worked for Parks and Wildlife back in the 90s and had a fish over 20 pounds in his hands. Now, he didn't catch it. It was during the walleye spawn out at Cherry Creek, but it was a green female. They caught the fish. They they weighed it on a state scale and then released the fish. But, you know, that's pushing a world record right there. And I tell you what, our we are right at that right latitude to where we get a long growing season, but with our cold water that comes in from the mountains, we don't stress those walleyes. And it gives us the potential to have some phenomenally large walleyes for this state. Well, we're going to cover that and so much more today. And I also want to talk about lakes opening up and boating etiquette, which I posted on my Facebook page also. But we'll take a time out. Parks and Wildlife is going to join us. we got a lot to cover on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Uh, you know, I saw these guys in Vegas just last year. Same three guys. You wouldn't mind think three guys put out this much music. Two of them have the big beards. The drummer doesn't have a beard. You know what his name is, Kyle? Beard. 
<laughs> You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. In studio with me is Brad Peterson. We're going to go right to the phones. Joining us is actually a longtime friend of this show. Started way back when her dad used to do the show with me back in the 90s. And, of course, she doesn't have the same last name because she's married, Alyssa. Alyssa, um, tell people, what was your dad's name again? I'm having trouble remembering. <laughs> Robin Knox. <laughs> yes, I knew that. We all knew that. Actually, for those of you who don't know, Robin was the original co-host on the, this outdoor show in 1998. So, <laughs> But you've gone on wow. in the family tradition to work for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Gosh, you've been there a while now. Um, you're you're a, a regional wildlife manager. I don't know if I got the title exactly right. but District. District, District Wildlife, wildlife Manager. manager. Yep. There we go. And you're going to talk to us today about, I think this is an issue we, we address we address at different times of the year, but all year long. But spring especially, interacting with wildlife, especially a couple species here in Colorado, starts becoming more and more critical. Uh, we get people who move to Colorado and all of a sudden they want to experience the outdoors or we see housing being developed further and further into the wilderness and people who've lived their whole life, Brad was commenting, they've lived their whole life in the cities and they say, wow, I want to experience that. When you couple that with the fact we have some robust animal populations like bear and moose or a couple we're going to talk about and people really have to understand interaction, don't they? They sure do. And we've got, what's going on? I know you wanted to talk specifically about bears. We're going to try to talk about moose. What are you seeing with the bears? Uh, Well, we've had up here in the mountains, uh, we've had bears that have been uh, awake now out of hibernation for a couple of weeks. And it it feels a little early this year. So we're really trying to get the word out to the community to start um, taking care of their trash. Yeah, and there is a few things. Now, I want to talk to you both about interacting with bears coming to your property and meeting bears in the wild. First of all, folks, and I think you'll back me up on this, Alyssa, that a bear attack is a very rare thing, right? I mean, it's just a, it, it, it happens, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it's very rare. And usually they're caused, now they, we'll talk about interaction on the trail later, but they're usually caused when bears get drawn into areas by food sources left there by people, start associating people with those food sources, and then it creates a danger both for people and the bears, doesn't it? It does, yeah. When bears lose their fear of people is when they can get into a lot of trouble. Now, what are some of the things that you see people doing that they really need to be aware of at this time of the year? Uh, the biggest thing is just not not leaving cross outside overnight. And um we actually had a couple of bears that, that didn't even hibernate this winter because they were able to find food all through the winter time, so they didn't hibernate, and it's, it's changed their natural behavior. So um, it's a shame to see that, but uh, now all the bears are awake, and they're, they're definitely targeting neighborhoods where people don't take, take care of their trash. Now, some of the things, obviously trash is a huge thing. You either have to get the bear-proof trash containers or keep it in a garage or a building until it's time for pickup. Is that the type of thing you suggest? Yes, yes, and it's actually um, required by law within some of the towns uh, throughout the state. And, you know, uh, the bears, when they start, and one of the, well, for certainly one of the things, don't ever feed bears. 
Um, people, you know, they love to watch wildlife, and whether it's bear, deer, moose, as soon as you start feeding an animal, they're, like you said, their natural behavior changes. And when that happens, you not only endanger yourself, but a lot of times the animal too, don't you? Yes, it's unfortunate um, to see that because when they become too bold and become a a threat to human safety, oftentimes we'll have to put them down. And that's the last thing we want to do. No, I understand that. Now, we have a very robust bear population in Colorado. Are there some areas where it seems to be worse than others? Yeah, uh, for sure. There's... um, Areas where we have really uh, good bear habitat combined with a high density of people seem to be where we have the worst conflict in the state. And there's a a lot of mountain towns and even uh, places along the front range where we have that interface and we see a lot of bear conflict. Now, in addition to garbage, I understand bird feeders, dog food, things like that can really be an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they like... um, Anything that smells good, old barbecue grills, dog food, bird seed, hummingbird feeders even. So if if you know you've got a bear active in your neighborhood, take all those attractants inside um, for until that bear's gone or um, for at least a couple of weeks, if not the end of the summer. And bears, a lot of people don't realize they can actually smell some of that stuff miles away. Yeah, that's their sense of smell is is about 100 times better than ours is. Yeah. Now, one of the tricks you told me about that I didn't even know is treating some things with ammonia. Yeah, it's a it's a cheap, easy deterrent for bears. Ammonia has such a strong smell and their noses are so sensitive. So you can uh, take household ammonia cleaning solution, dilute it to about 10 percent is all you need. Uh, and then you can spray it in areas uh, bears are nosing around or if they're trying to get into something like your trash can or your dumpster or your shed, you can uh, put that ammonia in a balloon or a plastic bag, put a little peanut butter on the outside, stick it to whatever the bear's trying to get into, and they'll, get, they'll, they'll pop that open and give themselves a good dose of it, and they probably won't come back. Now, what about, um, first of all, if, if a bear does start, start coming on somebody's property, um, what should people do? Um, the, the first thing is to make sure that you don't have anything out there attracting the bear. And if you do, get rid of that attractant and then uh, try some of those deterrents. And uh, if the bear is uh, is taking things to the next level, trying to break in, um, that's when you want to call CPW. And right. Is there any other action you should take yourself? Really, there isn't. If you can't chase it away by yelling at it or making noise, probably the best thing is to call you guys, right? Yeah. And you, actually, you can you can scare a bear away getting a, a can uh, full of coins, shaking it at them, uh, making noise, that kind of thing. Uh, Motion-activated lights at night can even scare some bears away, so those are good to have around buildings. Um, Bears like to move around in the dark. But, uh, but yeah, generally, you don't want to get too close to it, and uh, you don't want to run away from it because they are predators and they may have that chase instinct. I know you also have a message for people who rent out their condos and things because we get a lot of people that come from out of state, stay a few days, and don't understand what they should do with their garbage. Is that right? Yeah, and that is, that's the case. So if, if you own a rental, uh, you need to make sure that it's set up so that those renters um, take care of their trash and don't leave it out 
on a Sunday night when trash day isn't till Wednesday because uh, that, that creates a lot of problems. Now, I know Michelle from Bar Lake is waiting to get out in a few minutes, but I'm going to steal a couple minutes. But I promise you, Michelle, I'll give it back to you at the end of your segment because I want to transition a little bit. I want to talk real quick about bears in the wilderness. Then I want to talk about probably the most dangerous animal in Colorado. But first of all, if you're on a trail right now and you run into a bear, how should you act? Uh, just don't get close to it. Keep your distance. Um, talk to it. Let Make sure the bear knows you're there. And make sure you don't corner it. Uh, as long as the bear's got a place to go, most of the time they don't want to be around us. And they'll take off back into the woods. Uh, make yourself look big. Move slowly. Uh, back away. And if you need to, go back the way you came. All right. Very good. Now, there's another animal. It's the most dangerous animal in Colorado, I believe. And a lot of people are going to start thinking mountain lion and everything else. But that's a moose. And with the amount of snow we've gotten up in the, up in the mountains this year, as long, as long as their legs are and as easily as they can get around, they really don't like to travel through that snow if they don't want to. And you're starting to find them on roads and trails. There's a lot of interaction, isn't there? Yeah, there sure is. And not only roads and trails, they've been uh, on the ski resorts, they've been in neighborhoods, they've been uh, at our local library and rec center, uh, they've been getting into uh, pool areas um, at some of the uh, hotel hotels up in Keystone. So they're, uh, we're seeing them in places that we don't normally because of all that deep snow elsewhere. And I think people look at a moose and they don't feel as intimidated. They may try to get close and get selfies, but they're an incredibly dangerous animal. They are, and they're just not afraid of us, so they're not going to run away. But uh, if if you get too close and that moose gets angry, it could be a really dangerous situation. So what should I do if I see a moose? What's my best option if a moose is around? The best thing is to, to, to keep your distance. You know, use, a, use a, the zoom on your phone if you want to take pictures. Uh, stay in your car, stay, you know, in your um, up on your porch, watch from a balcony, that kind of thing. Just uh, don't get in that moose's bubble. Uh, watch them from a distance. They're, uh, they're, they're amazing animals to watch. And the biggest pro- thing is, is to not get too close. And probably the biggest thing is don't have a dog with you or near you in moose country. Yes. Yeah, they, uh, they have an aversion to dogs. It reminds them of wolves, which are a natural predator and they will react really aggressively to dogs. So yeah. if you have a dog that, whether it's on a leash or not, if it barks or lunges at that moose, uh, that moose might come at the dog and end up running you over. Yeah, usually the dog gets away and the moose tramples you. We really are out of time, but thank you for joining us. And, folks, I've got some of these interaction techniques on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, but there is a great section on the web at Colorado Parks and Wildlife about wildlife interaction. Alyssa, thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. You bet. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to be joined by the folks from Bar Lake right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Creedence Clearwater. You're not even old enough to remember these guys. I'll tell you a secret about how he trained his voice off the air. I can't divulge it. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones, where who's patiently waiting, at least I hope patiently, is Michelle Siebert from Bar Lake. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, 
I'll be better when this perpetual winter is over. I, I had a little bit of snow. Not too bad, though. Uh, it's supposed to warm up and get better. Just that I spent, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm ready, Michelle. I'm ready to go out there. And, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, we've got the sunshine of your bright, bubbly voice today. By the way, Brad Peterson is in studio with me, and we've been talking a lot of fishing and outdoors, and everybody's just ready for spring, and it's busting out. So Bar Lake, I'm sure, is no exception. Uh, tell people where Bar Lake's located, just in case they've never been there before. Of course. Bar Lake is located in Brighton, Colorado. We're just 25 minutes east of Denver off of I-76 in Bromley. So we're a quick day trip to come out to. Right. And you are a a day-use reservoir, although there are some exceptions for fishing. Now, your boat ramp, we're going to talk a little later in the show that a lot of boat ramps have opened, but yours hasn't yet. Is that right? No, it'll open up on April 13th, so just a couple more weeks. Right. And of course, in the meantime, we'll get to it in a minute, some shore fishing, but there's still always lots to do out there. Tell people some of the things they would see at Bar Lake if they come out. Of course. So we have a wonderful nature center that was just renovated. Lots of activities in there. We're really known for our birding. Over 371 different bird species have been sighted here. And what's really exciting is that our bald eagles, we just found out this week we have one eaglet that we can see. So coming out to see the bald eagles is amazing. Well, how many eagles did you see this winter at Bar Lake? You know, the highest number that we got to in one day was 76. Wow, that's just amazing. It's just, you know, you, the comeback of the bald eagle in North America has been just phenomenal. It's just unbelievable. Now, there's also part of that is a, a bird refuge or sanctuary, your lake. So half of it is closed to other than watching wildlife. But then the rest is open for fishing. And you have quite a fishing experience out there, don't you? We do. So the whole northern half of our lake um, is open for fishing and boating, 10 horsepower and under. So if you have a small fishing boat, canoe, kayak, but if you have a bigger boat and you have a motor on it, a bigger motor, you just can't use it, but, you know, put a kicker on there and you'll be good to go. Or use your electric. Now, yeah. since your boat ramp doesn't open until the 13th, that means uh, people are probably fishing right around that boat ramp. Are they catching anything? They are. So that's what's good about and a little bit later, it's good for the shore fishermen, and they've been catching some trout down by the boat ramp. I would think, and Brad and I were talking, that Brad, right now, if you're going to go fish trout from shore, a lake like Bar would be perfect. Oh, Bar would be a fantastic lake, and and I've heard they've done some improvements on the boat ramp as well to make it even better access for people. We do. We have an ADA-accessible fishing pier that will hopefully be opening up soon, so that's just making it easier for people to go and fish from the shore area. And now once uh, trout are the main fare right now, but you've got a lot of other species that end up being caught from shore and a boat. Tell people what, what you have there. So we have walleye, we have wiper, we have bass, perch, a lot of different things you can catch out here. And a lot of the people I know, and I won't mention Jr. from Colorado Clay's name, but he sends me pictures of wipers and walleyes constantly from there. He's kind of gets on my nerves, tell you the truth. But he's, he's, <laughs> he, he's caught some big ones for sure. Yeah, he really has. There are some wonderful fish in that lake. It's tremendous. Now, you know, another thing we didn't mention was your archery range. You have both a, a static and a 3D range. Is that right? 
Yes, we do. And our 3D range will open up again on April 1st. So we have lots of new targets. Um, so come out to either the static range or our 3D range that opens on April 1st on Monday. I'm a huge proponent, and I think Brad would probably back this up, of practicing on that 3D archery range. Because I think people, they stand and they shoot a bow into a static target. And the 3D range, if you walk it properly, you end up in hunting positions, which are so different. Oh, I, I completely agree. And one thing I would tell people at a 3D range is shoot from different positions, from a kneeling position, from a standing position. Um, that will even increase more the simulation of a hunting environment. And if I'm not mistaken, are you one of the only places in the state where on that 3D range you can harvest a dinosaur? Yeah, we have a stegosaurus, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know where the arrow placement should be in that. I'm not sure where I would be. <laughs> Hey, Michelle, before we let you go, though, you do have a bunch of events coming up. Tell us about those. Sure. So we, we first have our Easter egg hunt, which is on April 20th, and that's a Saturday. And then the next Saturday, April 27th, we have our kite festival. Um, kids can get free kites, and then we have some a gentleman that comes all the way from Colorado Springs to fly his big kite. And then on May, 5th, May 4th, which is a Saturday, we have our spring fishing clinic. It's our annual kickoff for fishing. A um, hundred kids will get free fishing poles. We'll have seminars, giveaways, just a great time to start the spring fishing season. Now, the last thing, water levels. Now, normally we come into this time of the year and we're wondering about the snowpack and how the water levels are going to end up. And none of us know how the end of summer will be because we could get zero rain and a lot of irrigation drawdown and we can only capture so much. But I would think you have optimistic outlook for water at this point. We do. We're almost full, so we're probably at 90%, um, but we're looking pretty good for the year. That's good. Well, hopefully we'll keep up. Now, we can get rid of the snow on the ground now. I'm done with that, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I think I see Karen seconding that. Yeah, she's. <laughs> I think she's wearing a shirt. I don't know if she's wearing it today or not. That says a comment about winter that I can't make on the radio. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle, any last comments before we let you go? Nope, just come out and enjoy your state parks and swing by Bar Lake and see you. Right, and I think people get out there now, they're going to catch trout. This weather actually isn't going to hurt that trout fishing. It's probably going to help it. And I would think, Brad, this next week, if you wanted to catch some trout, take some power bait or a little spinner, a little spoon, go to the shore of Bar Lake, and I'll bet you'd catch some. Yeah, that, those are great. little jig and plastic as well. Any of that would be a uh... A great way to catch some trout out there at Bar Lake. Well, and I think another thing, Michelle, is the spring progresses. People out there fishing from shore, if they use the right lures, also might find a walleye or a few perch or something like that, don't you? Oh, I think so, for for sure. All right. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. You bet. Always, you're always sunshine, even on a even on a cloudy day. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Michelle, Have a good day. You bet. Michelle Siebert from Bar Lake. We're going to take a quick time out, Brad. When we get back, I'm going to talk about a couple things that I featured on my Facebook page that I think are important, and one that's kind of a pet peeve of mine that we'll talk about on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Yeah, where's the sunshine? I don't... All right, you're right. Michelle is a ray of sunshine from Bar Lake. She is always so enthusiastic, Brad. It's great to see people who love what they do. She, I'll tell you what, and Brad Peterson's in studio with me. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, 
When Michelle calls in about Bar Lake, first of all, she promotes that lake. She always has activities for people. But she's so enthusiastic. You can tell she's just bubbly about what she does out there. You can. And, uh, you know, one of the time that I guest hosted, she called in as well. And she loves what she does, and she loves the people that come out to enjoy the park. Oh, she really does. And she works that park. She's a great asset to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. All right. it's uh, This is usually the time if I don't have something else scheduled, I get off on a couple of my rants. <laughs> and I've been getting on my soapbox lately. There's a few things I want to talk about. Before I get to that, though, I think we should remind people that um, fishing licenses, you need your new one on Monday. That you do. Don't want people to get caught out there unexpected fishing next week when the weather's nice. Right. So get your fishing license. You can go online. You'll get a temporary, so you'll have it right away. Carry that with you. I'm fortunate that I have a dedicated staff, raise your hand, Karen, who took care of... (laughs) Whoa! That was more than her hand. But anyway, took care of making sure my license was renewed. But she renews her at the same time. He uses my credit card. So I think there's an ulterior motive there. (laughs) (laughs) But really, folks, make sure. Get your license renewed. Don't accidentally get caught, you know, because several years ago we switched to this March time frame. And it it can be, it can get away from you. You got to think about it. You definitely do. It's nice because it's kind of for the hunters with the, the small game licenses, it's at the end of all their seasons, the small game seasons, so it makes a lot of sense. We're kind of at that transition between ice fishing and open water fishing. But, you know, the the Parks and Wildlife, their uh, DWMs are going to be out there checking licenses next week, I'm sure, so just be prepared. Yep. I, now, a couple things. Now, I, w- I want to talk, I want to eventually, during the next hour, we're going to talk with just fishing. We're going to talk a lot of what's going on fishing right here in Colorado and lure selections and and some we're going to have some special guests. But also um, we're going to talk uh, about the water, the fact that the boat ramps are opening and where you can go fishing. Along with that, I posted on my my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a Denver Post column I wrote about this time last year when all the ramps were opening about boating etiquette. Now, I'm going to share with you we i i don't know if i've shared this on the air before but boat dealers there's a, a there's a lot of different levels of boat dealers in the state and there's some that are incredibly good and some that just want to get the boat out the door right and we used to talk about a lot of the boaters and you remember this from the old pwt days that we call them key captains they went and <laughs> bought their new fifty thousand dollar boat and as they were driving off the lot the dealership handed them their keys and said, here's your key, Captain. And and it's not that they're evil people. First of all, we have limited surface water in Colorado. And we everybody, no one's out there with a sinister plot to do us in or to be evil. We're all out there to enjoy different recreations. And we have to learn to cooperate, whether you're a, a wakeboard boat driver, an angler, a sailboat driver, a kayaker, a paddle board, board driver, all those are vessels on the water that fall under regulations. We have a lot of vendors, concessionaires at reservoirs that, le- that rent out kayaks and paddle boards. And they do that without informing them of what the regulations are. And people don't know how to act. Now, I have um, Jim Hawkins. He'll probably come on again here very s- soon. He's does boating safety in Colorado. And he is um, a good friend and an advocate of getting everybody who wants to enjoy the water out. The two number one violations he runs into 
are, number one, people don't realize they need a flotation device on all those things. Not only a motorboat or a kayak, but a paddleboard, you need to have a a personal flotation device. And that's the law. You'll get a ticket. And if you're a I believe under 13, you have to be wearing it or you'll get a ticket, not just have it on the craft. The other one, though, the most violated one that I want to talk about is the one that creates animosity and makes it difficult to interact with some of the other boaters. And that's the fact that a lot of people don't understand that you have to give somebody in another boat or on shore 150 feet, whether you're in a fishing boat, a kayak, a water ski boat, a jet ski, or a paddleboard, you cannot come within 150 feet of a shore angler or a fishing boat that's there. The only exception is if there's an extremely narrow passage and it's the only way through that you have to give passage to a boat so they're not trapped or stuck. We get so many people on the water now doing so many different things, and they're just trying to enjoy themselves, but they're unaware of that. And we have fishermen who get too close to paddleboarders. We have paddleboarders who go right through the lines of shore fishermen. We have kayakers who get too close to fishing boats. And it goes round and round, and it's everybody. And most of those people are having fun. They're not consciously trying to be rude, but they don't understand the rules. And I think it's probably one of the biggest turnoffs to water recreation in Colorado. Oh, I'd agree with you. You know, I've I've had bad experiences, uh, but most of the people are are fairly good. And a lot of it, like you say, Terry, is just people not being aware of the rules and etiquette, how to respect the other people, what their activities are, and it would make it more enjoyable for everyone if if we're able to spread that word. No, you're absolutely right, and folks. Just so you know, I own kayaks. I own a $50,000 boat, and I own kayaks. And Karen uh, would love paddleboarding. We're, we're not negative on any of these activities. I've water skied in my life. Um, I've been on a jet ski. We've done all these things. It's just that we need to be considerate of each other. And there, there's one other thing that I really would recommend, particularly for the kayaks and the paddleboarders is if you're getting out there at first light or before first light, and I'm not sure if it's the law or not, but you need to have some sort of a light on your vessel so that the boaters who are getting out required to have lights know that you're there and are aware. I've seen it several times on Boyd where people come across the foggy morning and there's a paddleboarder out in the middle of the lake, no lights or anything. Well, and I, I couldn't agree, but for just go to... Go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, read the boating etiquette column, and there's an interview attached to it with Jim Hawkins. Listen to that interview. Honestly, no one's trying to—well, we're trying to just make it so everybody can enjoy it. The um, the l- l- couple things real quick before we have to take a break and Nate joins us, I want to talk about—we're going to talk about this next week in depth, but I also just posted a— Uh, a piece on my Facebook page about tick-borne diseases. Now, we're going to cover this in depth next week, but my post article and an interview from the past are on there. But you know firsthand, this is something people really need to be aware of, isn't it? Oh, they do. You know, I was diagnosed back in 2013 with Lyme disease. I'm guessing that I probably had it for about five years. Don't know exactly where I got it. You know, I've had ticks in Colorado, in Iowa, and Minnesota. It could have been from any of those locations. But it took almost a year of medical treatment 
um, different medications and all sorts of stuff to get rid of both the the Lyme and then uh, with and the Babesia, which is a kind of a co-infection that goes with it. So it's one that people really need to be aware of. If you catch Lyme early, you know, about a month worth of antibiotics will get rid of it. But if it's been established in your body for a while, it can take years. Yeah, and we're going to cover that in depth next week. So you may want to you may want to tune in for that. Um, the other, I think, thing I want to talk about real quick is, and we'll talk about maybe some time with Nate too, and that's the wall coming up this next hour. I want to talk about the walleye spawn. I'm sure Nate's going to bring us up to speed on Cherry Creek and Chatfield. I want to talk to you about the Northeastern Reservoirs. And then we have a special guest that's going to come on and talk about lure presentations. So we have an hour packed with fishing coming up. So stay tuned after this quick time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.